We are going to start John chapter 7 today. Yes, yes. I think we're all excited about that. Uh, Verses 1 through 9. But we're going to go back to January, which is actually forward in John, but back to January to abide when we looked at John chapter 15. So we're going to start here. This one's not on the screen. This is a little bonus verse. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's Jesus talking. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I, Jesus is saying this, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why are we starting there? We're starting there because that's the character of Jesus. Total obedience to the Father. And he says, hey, I'm obeying in the Father, you obey in me. Abide in me. We'll see this play out in these first nine verses. But a little flavor of where we are in the gospel according to John, as we've been going verse by verse through it. Chapter five, if you remember, Jesus heals a guy at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. Maybe you saw that in The Chosen, season two, episode four. It was great. Heals a guy at the pool of Bethesda, but he does it on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they had their own rules about the Sabbath. And one of the rules was, hey, no working on the Sabbath, and healing is working. So they got very upset, and they wanted to arrest Jesus. Jesus ups the game in verse 18 of chapter 5. He claims equality with God. I am equal with God, which was blasphemy in the eyes of the religious leaders, So they wanted to punish him by death. They wanted to kill Jesus. That's chapter five. Chapter six, Jesus continues doing miracles. He feeds the 5,000. And then Pastor Jason, at the end of chapter six, last week, shared the saddest verse in the Bible. Chapter six, verse 66, 666. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples, having seen the miracles, and then seeing Jesus say, I am the bread of life, it got hard for them, because they were coming to Jesus, as Pastor Jason said, for the bread, and not as bread. So on paper, it's not going well for Jesus. And that brings us to chapter 7. So it's important that you have that that context. I call it flavor. And as we begin, as we always do, we want to pray and ask God to bless our time. So let's pray. Father, it is uh, remarkable that you give us your word. And we know the story. But there are people that that we're reading about that don't know the whole picture. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know the whole picture, I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate it for them. Fill this place with your spirit. It is a daunting task, Lord, to open your word, to preach your word. It is certainly nothing that I am equipped to do. So I am asking, Father, right now that you fill me with your spirit. Give me power, strength, clarity, and focus to convey your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here we go. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea. And that term about just means he would walk around. So he would not go about in Judea. He would go about in Galilee because The Jews were seeking to kill him in Judea. So a little more flavor. You want a little more flavor here? Okay, good. Excellent. So the after this, it's important chronologically to know this wasn't like immediately after the end of chapter 6. Probably about six months happened between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And this is taking place about six months in the spring. I'm sorry, six months in the fall before the following spring, which would be 
the Passover, when Jesus returns to Jerusalem for Passion Week and eventually his crucifixion. Galilee and Judea, give you a little flavor there. They are in two separate regions. Kind of think uh, Blue Ridge to Marietta, about 80 miles. Takes about four and a half days to get there. It's important to understand geography and topography when studying the Bible, when reading the Bible, because it does give us some great context. Geography is the placement of things on the map. Topography, the characteristics of things on the map. So, for example, Stone Mountain, geographically, is next to Snellville. Okay? Following? Topographically, Stone Mountain is a big stone mountain. That, that's the difference. And, and if you ever really just want to dig in, in, in the back section of, of most Bibles, maybe it's in your Bible, after the uh, unit of measures, which I've never looked at, uh, <laughs> There are, there are maps. There's maps. I've been, to, I've been to Israel three times in the last six years. I still go back to my maps because I love maps. Any, any other map lovers here? Yes. A couple cartographers in the back. Excellent. Um, all you hunters, you masculine guys that go out and, and kill your food and all that, that, that's great. I can fold a map. Yeah, I can. So 80 miles, it's, it's far enough away that the religious leaders in Jerusalem don't rule what's going on in Galilee, but it's close enough that word gets there because it's only about a four and a half day walk. And they didn't have social media. There, there was no Jerusalem connect. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking about. There, there weren't any posts like, why is traffic backed up on the Via Della Rosa? Does anybody know a good carpenter? Go. And of course, what kind of snake is this? If you're laughing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're not laughing, um, ask somebody who is after the, after the gathering. As, as a matter of fact, the guy that runs Cherokee Connect, and I'm having fun with that, he texted me after the first gathering uh, today, and he said he just reserved Jerusalem Connect. <laughs> did, did I want to be the admin for it? No, I don't want to be the admin for it. So here, here, here's the point. Here's the point. Jesus is up north. The religious leaders are down in Jerusalem. But no, Jesus isn't hiding out. He's not afraid to go down there. He knows what's going to happen when he gets there. He knows it's the Father's will for him to go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world, to be a substitution for the penalty that we deserve, a substitutionary sacrifice. We deserve the penalty of death because of our sin that separated us from our relationship with God. Jesus knows he's going to the cross to be that substitution. He knows that God is gonna raise him from the dead, declaring victory over death. He knows all that's gonna happen. But the reason he's not going to Judea is because it's not time. And that's really important as we look at the rest of the story. Verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. We'll get into what the feast of booths is in a minute. All through the Gospel of John, we've heard this term the Jews. And I have mentioned several times that it's a reference to the religious leaders. But I, I want to speak to anybody here who is Jewish, like me. Maybe uh, you grew up in a house that celebrated the, the Jewish feasts like we did. And you're hearing this term the Jews in the way that I heard it growing up derogatorily. We heard those Jews. It was anti-Semitic to hear that term. But if you are Jewish, please hear it as just the context of the religious leaders of the time. And if you're here and you're Jewish, and I, I spoke to someone after 
the first gathering today, who is? That's an answer to prayer. Four years ago, Pastor Jason asked us to write down what our big dream was. Write down your big dream. I wrote something down, I looked at it, and I immediately crossed it out because it was something that I could accomplish. That's not a big dream. A big dream has to be something that God can only accomplish. So I crossed that out and I wrote down that every Jewish person in Cherokee County would come to know Yeshua as Lord. That's a big dream. So if you're here and you're Jewish, that's an answer to prayer. And I want you to hear today, listen for this amazing Messiah who has come. Listen for Yeshua, who is Lord. Listen for Jesus, who is God's only son, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I can attest that I have tasted and seen who he is, and he is good. So this Feast of Booths, uh, or called the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. We follow a calendar, and it's the year 2021. The Hebrew calendar right now is the year 5782. 5782. Take a guess when the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, take a guess when it falls this year. Right now. Right now. Started Monday, ends tomorrow. We are right now in the Feast of Tabernacles, which I don't know what that means. We don't don't plan these things out. We didn't look at a calendar and say, okay, September 26th, Feast of Tabernacles, got to preach, first part of chapter seven. But I want to tell you something about the Feast of Tabernacles. This was one of the feasts commanded in the Old Testament. And this particular feast, it's in the fall, and it commemorates the Israelites and the provision of God and the faithfulness of God to free them from the oppression of Egypt. So the exodus of Egypt. And Moses said, for all eternity, I want you to celebrate and remember God's faithfulness and provision. And how I want you to do it? I want you to go outside and I want you to build booths, makeshift booths or tabernacles were tents. They were camping. They, they were camping. REI Jerusalem was packed at this time of year. God's provision, God's faithfulness. But what's remarkable about the Feast of Tabernacles, if you were here for the beginning of our John series, chapter one, verse 14, The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Another word for dwelt is tabernacle. Jesus has just told us he's the bread of life. He is our provision. He is our faithfulness. And he has come to dwell with us, to tabernacle with us. Why? To bring us freedom. So see how that weaves together. We have the Feast of Tabernacles commemorating the freedom of the Israelites out of Egypt, and Jesus comes to be the to tabernacle with us to be our freedom, freedom and our provision and our faithfulness. Mind blown? Pretty wild. Take it up a notch. Ready? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Do you know what his occupation was? He was a tent maker. Very good. Excellent. He made tents. Paul also had one job after getting saved. After the road to Damascus, he wanted to do one thing, preach about Jesus and Jesus crucified. He wanted to make disciples. He wanted people to come to know Jesus. He said in Romans chapter 1, I am eager, I am unashamed, and I am under obligation to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He was making a tabernacle for Jesus to dwell in. We are the tent. We're the tent, we're the tabernacle. So see how it all comes together because everything in the Old Testament is a shadow, a foreshadowing of Jesus. 
That's just the backstory. Pastor Jason is going to get way more into the Feast of Tabernacles in the next couple of weeks. The point is, it's a big deal, this feast. There will be hundreds of thousands more people coming to Jerusalem at this time of year. Lots of people. And that plays into what's going to happen because there were a lot of people up in Galilee that didn't think it was going well for Jesus, and they had some ideas. So here we go, verse 3. So his brothers, his own family, his brothers said to him, leave here, leave Galilee, and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing, these miracles that you're performing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. His brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea. Can you hear him? You ought to go to Judea. Or as we've probably heard from family members, or maybe we've said this to family members, you know what you should do. You ever hear that? Maybe you did that today. Maybe you told somebody in your family, you know what you should be doing. We gotta be really careful not to should all over people. <laughs> it, it's funny, but it's true. We do it all the time, don't we? We, we try to give people advice. And let's just take a step back. That was a step back. How many times do we do that to God? Oh, God, you know, what you, you know what you should do right now. Or you know what you shouldn't do right now. So we gotta be really careful about that. These were his brothers. You know, Mary had other kids. These were his brothers. They had spent time with Jesus. They grew up with Jesus. They, they were familiar with Jesus. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him. And, and as we've heard in chapter 6 and all through the Gospel of John, that it's really easy to know about Jesus and totally miss who he is. And they, they missed who he was. Just like you could grow up in church you could have excellent church attendance and still miss who Jesus is. They didn't know him. How do we know, how do we know his brothers didn't know him? Verse five, for not even his brothers believed in him. They're not believers, his brothers. So I'm picturing Jesus kind of standing there with a little smirk oh, that's cute. <laughs> You're giving me advice. That's, that's rich. You're giving the king of kings advice, and you don't even know me. Now, does this mean Jesus doesn't get guidance from anyone? No. We saw at the beginning of, of the message today, in John chapter 15, Jesus is abiding in the Father. He is following his Father's commandments, his whole deal is obedience to the Father. That's where he's getting his guidance from. And I think sometimes we've got to ask, where are we getting our guidance from? Obviously, we want to get our guidance from God. We want to know what the Word says. We'll get, in, we'll get into that in a little bit. But who are we listening to? Are, are we listening to people that know God? Or are we listening to people who don't know God? If, if we're getting our financial advice from somebody that does not understand the biblical principles of finances and they're not tithing, returning to the storehouse because everything we have is a gift from God and we return the tithe, if they don't understand sacrificial giving above and beyond the tithe, if they're not saving, if they're not living off the rest, you probably don't want to get financial advice from them. I love my brother. He's three and a half years older than me. He lives in California. We probably text or talk every day. He's probably texting me right now, giving me an update on the Ryder Cup. I mean, I love my brother. We laugh all the time. 
He's a brilliant lawyer. He's a real estate and construction lawyer. He is a man of high integrity in his field. I may send him a contract and say, hey, what, is this, what does this even mean? But he's an atheist just like I was. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe this book. So I'm not going to him for financial advice. I'm not going to him for advice on my marriage. If I had kids, I'm not going to him for parental advice. I'm not going to him for relationship advice. So who are we getting our guidance from? Is it somebody that, that knows what God wants us to do? Jesus loves his brothers too. But he's not going to get his guidance from them. He's going to go right to where he knows the truth, his father. But you can't really blame his brothers. I mean, if your brother that you grew up with, if my, if my brother called me and said, hey, I've done a couple of miracles today, and I'm the Messiah, <laughs> I'm, I may be a little skeptical. And plus, the Jewish people understand this. We were always told that the Messiah was going to come, but he's going to come from a place that is unfamiliar to us. Jesus was very familiar to his brothers. So let's have some grace for his brothers. It's easy to rail on his brothers, easy to rail on the religious leaders, but we have the context of the whole picture. Got to have some grace for family. How about it? I sometimes don't. I fail miserably. Uh, I get so frustrated with my family sometimes. I'm the only believer in the family. But I have to remember that's where I was 15 years ago today. Again, not planned. Not planned. 15 years ago today, at, at this time, Pacific time, I was still hating Jesus. I was a Christ hater, blasphemer, didn't believe in God. A few hours later, in a therapy session over the phone, my therapist took off her therapy hat. She put on her Christian hat. She told me this amazing Jesus this amazing Messiah that my people have been waiting for. He is Yeshua. He died for the sins of the world, for my sins, and he took the penalty that I deserved. And then he was raised on the third day from the dead, declaring victory over death so I could have, so you could have a relationship with your heavenly Father for all eternity. I turned 60 last month. This would be where you're in shock. <laughs> no, you couldn't be 60. <laughs> but thanks for the encouragement. That was nice. <laughs> turned 60 last month. Didn't have a party. Of course, I had COVID on my birthday. Happy party. Here's some pregnancy. Um, I don't celebrate my earthly birthdays. I, I know when it happens. It's August 14th. I celebrate today. I celebrate September 26th. Thank you. But here's the cool thing. You ever see those, those memes, hey, what would you say to your 21-year-old self? My 60-year-old self can speak to my 15-year-old self today. And what would my 60-year-old self say to my 15-year-old self? Follow Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. The Jesus you learned about 15 years ago that you trusted in, abide in him. Stay connected to him. Love him. Adore him. Magnify him. Glorify him. Do whatever he says. Do your marriage like he says. Do your finances like he says. Do your relationships like he says. Love your neighbor like he says. Tell everybody you know about Jesus and don't stop. That's what my 50, my 60-year-old self, that was wishful thinking. That's what my 60-year-old self would say right now.
Because I know now the most important decision I ever made, it wasn't where to go to school or what school to get kicked out from. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't who to marry. Oh, I absolutely adore my wife. It wasn't where am I gonna live or what house I'm gonna buy. It was who do I think Jesus is? That's the most important decision y'all will make. Who do you think Jesus is? Is he just a guy? Just a good teacher? Or is he Lord? Is he God? The end of my dad's life, after 88 years of believing that Jesus didn't exist, a couple days before he died, he trusted in Jesus, and now he's with him. He's with him. That's amazing. I, I sometimes forget it because it was just last year. I sometimes forget my dad is rejoicing with Jesus. My mom, who will be 91, she has decided there is no Jesus, there is no God. So all I can do is pray. But I have hope because I've seen what God can do in my dad. I'm praying that God will overcome my mom's resistance, and that's the prayer that I encourage you to have for your family members. Pastor Jason talked about this last week. Keep praying. Keep praying those faithful prayers that God will move. Because we see here, there's hope. Jesus' brothers, they didn't, they didn't know him. They weren't believers. But we know after the resurrection, Jesus' brothers trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. A couple of his brothers even got book deals. <laughs> James, <laughs> they did. James and Jude, they wrote two books in the New Testament. Same guys that said, you know what you should do. So there's hope. And I hope you find that encouraging. Back to the story. What his brothers are saying here is... It's not going well for you, Jesus. You gotta stop playing these small clubs in Galilee. You, get, you gotta get down to Jerusalem, do some stadium shows, get a new agent, rebrand yourself, go be famous, go be popular. But that's not the character of Jesus, is it? He doesn't want to do that. Verse six, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. I think if he were tweeting this, there'd be a period between each word. My time has not yet come. He has said this before. He said it at the wedding at Cana. My time has not yet come. But it's important to know that that word time is a Greek word, kairos, and it means opportunity. So he's not saying he's not going there. He's saying it's not the opportune time. Why is he saying that? He's focused on God's plan. He's focused on God's timing. He's waiting for the right time. But he looks at his brothers and he says, hey, my time's not yet come. He knows, oh, I'm going. You don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going. But your time? Head on down to Judea, brothers. You can go anytime. Because you and I, we're not even on the same team. You're just like the religious leaders. So they're not going to kill you when you get there. It's going to be a party for you. So go ahead. You don't know God, you don't know God's will. And he looks at him probably and says, you don't even know that I am him. Jesus doesn't want to be famous. He wants to be obedient. We see it in John chapter 15. Abide in me as I abide in him. His invitation to us has always been obedience to him though. Abide in him, be obedient to him. And I know that obedience is, is not a fun word. Anybody love that word? 
Anybody wake up every day going, I can't wait to be obedient to somebody else's authority. Mm. I'm gonna post that on Facebook. No, you're posting the opposite. So I looked up, I looked up a definition of obedience just to soften it a little bit. Obedience is submission to another's authority. Okay, that didn't soften it at all. But let's flip this. Let's turn this upside down like Jesus turns everything upside down. The world is saying submission to authority is not a good thing. But what if we looked at submission and obedience and authority as where we get our freedom? The world says authority and obedience is is binding. It's putting us in chains. But what if we looked at submission, authority, and obedience as freedom? When my wife and I go on a road trip, I am an Enneagram 7 with a wing 6. I don't even know what that means, but I am told I am the life of the party, and I, I really enjoy preparing for things. So I will, at any given time, have a Duraflame log in the back of my car, just in case a bonfire breaks out. <laughs> oh, I got a, I got a Duraflame. Anybody, can we get one? I plan out everything. I plan the route. I get my maps out. I plan the route. I know exactly which diner, drive-in, and dive we're going to stop at for lunch. I pl- Thank you. Guy Fieri's here. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will plot out where we're going and staying, the hotel, what we're going to do when we get there. If there's a flight involved, all of those arrangements, how we're going to get to the airport, where we're going to park. I went on a trip here with some guys from church to a conference, and somebody else planned out how we were getting to the airport, made our flight arrangements, picked out where we were going to eat, our hotel when we got there, what time to be at the conference, when to pick up the car, when to get back in the car, when to go back to the airport, and how we were getting home to Canton. All I had to do Step into the back seat of that car and submit. Submit to that authority. It was one of the most freeing moments of my life. I didn't have to plan anything. And I realized it is so exhausting being in control of everything. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is something to laugh at, but what if... What if we gave up the authority of our own lives and control of our own lives and submitted to God's authority? Think about how freeing that would be. I don't know about you. I am exhausted trying to do things David's way that David wants to do in David's timing. Maybe that's why the world is the way it is right now. So angry. I think people are just exhausted from not opening up their arms and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? We think we have control over our lives, doing things our way and our timing. True freedom is trusting that God's in control. And I tried to be in control for 45 years tried to control my environment. I tried to control what people thought of me. When I was six, my parents bought me a trombone. Thanks. (laughs) And guests would come over to the house and my mom would be like, why don't you play the trombone for our guests? (laughs) Ta-da. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> and then I, then I learned how to juggle. And my mom was like, oh, why don't you juggle for our guests? I quickly learned I could control whether people liked me or not by performance. 
I went on to get my first job in radio in 1986. I was working in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> it was a career highlight for me, too. <laughs> but you know what I heard from my family? You know what you should do. You should be in Philadelphia. So I got to a station in Philadelphia, and then I heard what you should do is get on more stations. So I got on more stations. Then I heard, well, Rush Limbaugh's on 600 stations. What's wrong with you? So here I am striving for this, this success that the world is throwing at me, that the world is continuing to throw, and I was miserable because I kept searching for an audience. I kept seeking an audience of followers, not realizing there was somebody seeking me who had freedom for me. We have to be really careful of seeking an audience of followers instead of following the one who has been seeking us. Jesus isn't interested in being famous. He gets that his freedom is doing the will of his father. He submits to his father's authority, and the encouragement is, hey, submit to me. It's going to go better for you. We have, we have one job if we do it that way. If we submit to Jesus, if we submit to his authority and we obey him and we serve and we love our neighbor and we live on mission and we're generous, will any of that make us famous? No. But it will make us more like Jesus. And that's the whole goal, is to become more like Jesus. After trusting in Jesus, a lifelong process, it's called sanctification. Will we ever be 100% like Jesus? No, because he's perfect. But if we do what he asks us to do, we will become more like him. The world tells us that fame and popularity and social media likes, that's winning. The gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says we win by losing. The gospel says when you serve your wife and you sacrifice for your husband, when you love your neighbor, when you give sacrificially, when you live your life on mission and not for ourselves, when we consider others more significant than ourselves and guard our tongues and guard our keyboards, the world says, you're losing. Jesus says, no, that's a win. Because what was the greatest victory ever? Jesus going to the cross and his resurrection. But the world thought Jesus going to the cross was a failure. People of Jesus' time, they, they, weren't, they weren't ready for a savior who was gonna die on a cross. Remember, when he comes to Jerusalem six months from now, from this story, he's going to come into the East Gate, and they're going to be waving palm fronds, Hosanna, here's our conquering king, and Jesus is coming as a suffering savior, not a conquering king. He's coming to be king of the world, king of kings, lord of lords, but in a different way than the people thought. It took me a long time to realize that to be known by people who don't know you, hear me, to be liked by people who don't know you pales in comparison to being known by the one who gave everything for you, who has known you since before the foundation of the earth, who numbers the hairs on your head, not mine but yours, <laughs> numbers the hairs on your head. That's, that's how detailed he is in your lives, and he says, before the foundation of the earth, I have loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, I died for you. I died for you. To bring you back into relationship with your heavenly father. 
The world says be popular and people will love you. Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you post. He probably says you shouldn't have posted it. (laughs) But he cares about you coming to him. And he says, I love you anyway. Sure, there's success in the word fame. But Jesus' version of success sounds so simple. Doing what the Father wants when he wants it. Pete Scazzaro, uh, you may have heard Pastor Jason uh, talk about Pete. He's one of Pastor Jason's mentors. Uh, He started something called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He has the best definition of success I've ever seen. Success is doing what God has asked us to do his way in his timing. His way, his timing. His will, his way, his timing. I think it would serve us well if we left with that phrase. So just repeat with me. His will, his way, his timing. Good, do it again. His will, his way, his timing. His will, his way, his timing. Jesus could have everything. He was even tempted by Satan in the wilderness. I'll give you everything, Jesus. It's probably not the way Satan talks, but he was gonna give Jesus everything Jesus ever wanted. And Jesus said, no, I'm gonna be obedient to the Father. I'm gonna do things that he wants me to do his way in his timing. And he waited 30 years The king of kings and the Lord of lords who could have everything toiled in obscurity for 30 years because he didn't want fame. He wanted to be faithful. That's our goal, to be faithful. I I made a ton of mistakes, still making mistakes. I make my mistakes usually when I'm hungry and tired. I do. Maybe you can relate to that. But I make all of my mistakes when I want to do what David wants to do, David's way, in David's timing. After decades of trying to be in control, I don't want to be in control anymore. I want to get a a well-done, good and faithful servant at the end of my life. few more verses here. Jesus goes on talking to his brothers. The world cannot hate you because he's saying to them, you know, you're just like the world. You got the same uniform on, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Jesus is saying the world hates me because I tell them the truth about their sin. He goes on, you go, you go to the feast. You go up to the feast. They're not going north of Galilee. They're going south to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem's uphill, higher elevation, topography, geography. Remember that? Um, so that's the phrase, go up. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. It's easy to look at that last verse and he remained in Galilee and just kind of skip on to verse 10. Pastor Jason will pick up verse 10 next week. It's easy to skip over and he remained in Galilee. And I skipped over it probably the first 43 times I read through these verses over the last month. Oh, that's a throwaway. He remained, he stayed obedient. All the temptation of fame and the millions of people in Jerusalem. And he stayed. He remained in Galilee. Now that word remain. Ready for this? It means dwell. Back to John 1. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's dwelling in Galilee. But you know another definition of remain? Abide. He's abiding in God's plan for him. He's abiding in God's will for him. He's abiding in what God wants him to do, his way, his timing. Just like he says, abide in me as I abide in the Father from John 15. So who are we following? Whose timetable are we on? Jesus says, lay down your lives. Consider others more significant. Give generously. Serve. Love your neighbor, no matter who they are or what they believe or what they post or what sign they have in their yard. That's what he says to do. So is our response to that, I am my own man, I'm my own woman, I will do what I want to do the way I want to do it, when I want to do it? Or is our response, yes, Lord. Jesus, again, greatest of all time. His response to the Father knowing he could do anything he wanted to do, his response to the Father was, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours. 15 years ago, Jesus took control of my life. It took me in a different direction. Oh, I still want to fight it. Because like I said, we're never gonna be like Jesus completely. I still wanna fight it. But at this point in my life, I'm exhausted from fighting. I wanna to submit to his authority. I do want to do things his way, in his timing. And maybe you do. Maybe you have trusted in Jesus and you're doing things that he wants you to do his way and his timing, and that's awesome. Or maybe you have trusted in Jesus and you've never let him take control. You've never let him take you in a different direction because you may be getting your advice from the world that says, I'm my own. Jesus bought us with a price, his blood. So there's two categories. Maybe, maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. And today is the day that you're gonna say, I am exhausted, I wanna do it your way. That's my invitation to you today to trust in him. Trust in the Yeshua Messiah who has come, who loves you so much he gave everything for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like I said, a daunting task to open up your word because it is so humbling to know that you love us that much. To sacrifice your son, to bring us back into relationship with you. So for those who have not trusted in Jesus, who have heard about this amazing, obedient servant today, Father, we pray that you would open their hearts right now to trusting in him. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to repeat a prayer after me, the same prayer that I prayed 15 years ago 
over the phone. So if you're at home right now, gathered online, you can repeat this prayer. God is so powerful, he can do it over a telephone. Repeat this to yourself, Heavenly Father. I recognize today that my sin has separated me from you and that I need a Savior who is going to pay the penalty that I deserve. I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that you raised him from the dead, declaring victory over death, I am tired, Father, of doing things that I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. I surrender to you. Will you save me? Everybody's eyes still closed. If that was you, just like it was for me 15 years ago, this is celebration day. This is the greatest day of your life. You may not celebrate your birthdays, your earthly birthdays again, but you may celebrate September 26th like nobody's business. Raise your hand. Just put your hand up in the air as high as you can get it. Thank you. As high as you get, please leave it there. Leave it there so our prayer team can give you a Bible. Just like your team scored a touchdown last night. an amazing day when you first surrender. But if you have already surrendered, if you have already trusted in Jesus, this next part's for you. Keep following him. Remain in him. Abide in him. Magnify him. Glorify him. Do your marriage his way. Do your finances his way. Do your relationships his way. Love your neighbor his way. And if you're feeling exhaustion from being in control for so long, give up that control. Give up that authority and rest in the one who came and dwelt with you. You're the tent, and Jesus is tabernacling with you. And he will love you forever. I'm taking this message with me today to do what he says, his way, his timing. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.